Hello, welcome to the Bossit Podcast with Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. This podcast is released every week and is an over-the-shoulder look of a frank and candid discussion between two experienced software executives, providing you with useful tips, techniques, and the latest concepts to help you grow your software business in the fast-paced digital age. So let's get into it. Here is Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. Hello, Michael. I hope you can hear me. Uh, hello, Mark. I can hear you very well. Super. Well, I don't know what um, what episode we're up to. I think we must be on 11 or 12. So yeah. uh, that's flowing, good. Flowing nicely. Starting to get some feedback as well, which is also nice. That's yeah. what we wanted to do, was to sort of get out there and get let people get to know us, yeah. find out what we're about, and hopefully pick up some tips. But I think I think also it's it's useful for us at the end of the week to reflect back on what's happened to us so happened to us during the week and have a think a bit more deeply about that i find that's something that i've always tried to do anyway and having this our, our half an hour together as a podcast <laughs> is it sort of forces you to do it doesn't it i agree i fully agree but it's good yeah so what have you been up to wow busy week well, I, sort of personally i've been uh, i've been involved in uh, performing well i've had the first night of a play that I've been rehearsing for for quite a few weeks now, and wow, that's <laughs> it's not something I'm used to doing. Having to uh, deliver lines, specific words. I mean, giving presentations, talking, talking on the podcast, doing videos—that's fine. And you're talking about a subject that you know a lot about, but talking, delivering exact lines at the exact time to right. cue off somebody else—that's a different thing altogether. Yes. Especially when you have stress, I can imagine. I would be really bad. I, should, I shouldn't even try. I just I need the freedom and the chaos to move around in my text. <laughs> yes, yes. It but it, it, I must admit, it, you know, these things, and it, it has been pressure, just, just yep. getting those lines and then being up on a stage in front of people. But I think you always learn something when, um, you know, when things are tough. And I think it's helped me think more deeply I was thinking the other day about salespeople learning about the making sure that they talk about and remember the most important aspects of their product, their service, their company, and you know how you can make that a little bit easier. So I've been thinking quite a bit about that, and I'll, well, perhaps it would be something that we'll talk about in another podcast because um, memorizing techniques is something I've always been interested in and learning a lot of information. I think that's something that a lot of um, owners of businesses have to do on occasions when they have to perhaps give a talk or a presentation and, and they can't always be dependent on PowerPoint. No. You know, I think we've, we've both seen before when people try and recreate their speech in PowerPoint slides, just word for word, doesn't work. No, you need the freedom. You, I, I think it's you need the end goal. And the story needs to be aligned to the end goal. But indeed, for a play on stage, that's a different. That's just a different ballgame. Yeah. So, so what about yourself? What have, what have you been up to? I've been doing many, many, many speeches on stage, uh, talking about sales print concepts. There's been a, a large demand for that. I'm actually. It's funny. I'm actually on the top of a supermarket, very, very large, like a shopping mall, and I'm sitting in this pot. I have no other words. 
and I'm watching the whole uh, because there is a free holiday in Belgium today. I'm watching the people running around while I'm talking to you, and I'm thinking, hey, it's not bad actually. I should make my office here. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it is it one of these sort of um, booths that you can get? Cause yeah, I know- yeah, it's it's like completely. You can close it. It's completely quiet, and then it's like uh, acoustic material. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. I, I just looking at the material, it must be expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, the, I was going to say to you, the sound quality today is very, very good. You, you can yeah, hear. I yeah. think so. You want me to buy one? Yeah, I want you to buy yeah, one of those. Want me to buy one of the things at home. Put it, put it in your <laughs> office, and we'll have perfect podcast sound. Um, actually, that was something else that came up this week for me was that um, we were talking about trends within the industry and um, one of the things that we're seeing is that um, there are a lot more virtual businesses and that can be seen by some of these um, office rental companies where you can rent out a space from them they are becoming very very popular and that's giving a great indication of what's really happening out there in fact I think I just trying to remember the the name of the the one that's uh, I've seen a lot in London where they rent out space. It's one of the fastest growing companies in the world. There's a few of them. Uh, I know that some of the more traditional ones uh, that have been around for for years are not doing as well. But some of the newer ones that have come up recently are, are really growing very, very quickly. But it does show an indication that more and more businesses are running virtually. And especially in the software sector. I don't yeah, know if you're seeing that. Yeah, you see a lot of co-working, and then they're always really well-designed. You can rent the seat, and I actually like to work in them because there is a good energy, good vibe, and, and you can move around, and it looks really nice most of the time. So I, I, I also believe that it's it's growing really hard. I think it goes together with the trend of, because I had a, a several phone calls of uh, salespeople asking me, Michael, I'm thinking of being uh, being becoming independent, um, would there be a place for me to, I mean, would people be interested in hiring me? And I really see this whole move of becoming more and more independent, uh, like independent workers. So you, and it, it goes well together with, with these co-working concepts. One seat for a while, then move on, do something else. Yes, yes. Do you, I, I mean, I remember years ago that um, a lot of people were very concerned about salespeople not coming into the office every day. Yeah, that's completely gone. I no, mean, you, you shouldn't hear that now, do you? Yeah, you would be crazy if you be, would be worried. However, you do need to check. I mean, my advice would be check randomly. That's a good trick yes. on activity and, and make sure that you keep connection by phoning and, and meeting from time to time. But, I mean, it's it's crazy to control that with the traffic. I mean, I, I, when I had these customers and I would lose four to five hours a day just driving there. Yes. I would have been so productive. Man, I, I just hate it. I'm actually not taking customers that are too far because I'm staying. It just doesn't make sense. No, I can remember having a job many years ago and my journey into work was 100 miles. Oh, man. Driving 100 those miles. Those days there was less, less traffic. Now it's completely crazy. Yeah, it was horse and carriage in those days, I just said. To... <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but there was always, always the fear about salespeople not performing if you're not seeing what they're doing. I, I always think if you're that worried about them, you've probably got the wrong person. And you shouldn't have hired them no. in the first place. And two, I mean, there are so many systems now that you can check, actually. And you can track. It's the end result that counts and some steps in between. Oh, I mean, that's why they made CRM, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 
it's it's an interesting thing because it's it's one aspect obviously that um, I look into when we're looking at a company that's looking to sell and if they've got a you know a reasonable sized sales force there's some standard questions that I ask you know after I've asked them how many sales people they've got what their sales targets are I then ask them how many achieved the sales target <laughs> yeah that's always an interesting question you know? most of the time it's they the the target setting is completely off yeah. I had a, actually talked to a guy yesterday and the guy told me he said well I'm not going to say for which company it's a very famous telco brand <laughs> and uh, he said last year uh, target was 2.5 million and I got to 2.4 and uh, but he said it was so tough and he knew it's going to be impossible so what did they do they they said yes we will take it into account and he got his target and it's 3.5 million he said look at me he said Michael this is insane and he's right it's, it's not going to work this is just crazy yeah. It's not going to work. So, of course, he's running off. They might have done it to scare him off. That's another topic, of course, but yeah. I don't think so. The, 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 other question, right, the, the other question that I ask is how many salespeople have you had to employ over the last few years? I mean, what I'm really looking for is, is the turnaround on the salespeople because if you see that's really high, I've, I've had on many occasions software owners say to me, None of these salespeople are any good. And my question is, that's your fault. And they get they get quite annoyed sometimes with me, first of all. And I say, How can it possibly be my fault? I said, You hire them. Who chose them? Yeah. Or or a lot of these guys they hire sales but their value proposition is not really right yet, and then they expect the sales to kind that's, of figure yeah, it out. Yeah. Completely wrong. It's absolutely I mean, Yeah. But we I, had that discussion, eh? so if you want to scale sales Start with a value prop, start with inside sales to get enough meetings. Once you can feed a sales with enough meetings, then you hire a sales. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to give them the tools. You've got to make sure you've got the right person there. They've got to be motivated. Yeah, keep I, them, I, most people are. I mean, I think there's a lot of suspicion. I think really you've, you've picked a real bad one if you've got somebody who's, who wants to work, go to work and doesn't care whether they, they succeed or fail. Most people go to work because they want to, they want to succeed. People, yeah. people in any part of their life, they want to be successful. They don't turn up thinking, oh, I'd love to fail. And uh, real sales guys, you see them, they're always a bit restless. I'm looking for the restlessness. Then you know it's just a matter of aiming the gun. Rubbish. Let's get on to the yeah. next subject. <laughs> Absolutely, you're right. We, we tend to go up. I'm, a bit, I'm being restless. I'm being a salesman. Yeah, yeah go on. Um. I think one of the things that we mentioned in one of the previous topics, and actually we didn't get round to discussing because I think we, we got carried away on another topic and we went off, as we normally do, and as we are free and able and we choose to do so, um, we, we got carried away and we spoke about some other topics, but we spoke about partnerships, and I think that's an interesting topic to look at from the perspective of partnerships, sales, resellers, but also from uh, the perspective of building equity value within your business. Mm-hmm. So I know that that's something that you've had a lot of experience about and, and you've been brought in to consult on that topic in the past. But but what are, you, what are your thoughts regard, regarding partners? I, I think, first of all, it's a lot of people look to partners and they expect simply to scale because it's a very good strategy to scale. But then they, again, like with sales, they don't feed them properly or the value prop for the partner is, is just not exciting enough. That That's one. The second thing I see happening uh, a lot is that once you say, okay, I'm going to work with partners like an indirect channel, 
a lot of these partners will come to you and they all want to take your technology, and let's assume it's technology or service, and they want to find a new market with that. But those are the partners that's going to go really slowly. It's like you would start a business, take nine months, 12 months before the first deal. Yes. So you need to look yourself for partners that actually have a large customer base where trust has already been established and you are like an upsell. So those are the type of partners where you can go really fast and, and, and they love you for that because at the end of the day, they just want one thing. They want to sell more of their own stuff and you're enabling that with whatever product you're doing. Uh, and, and I truly believe it can have really massive skills. I mean, we both know a company uh, called Scofax uh, that, yes. that I mean, in the older days, and they scaled, they grew crazy with partners. They did a yes. really good job there. Uh, so, so what's what's your opinion on the whole partner debate? Wow, big subject, isn't it? I mean, um, <laughs> I'm interested in the equity in the equity story, but go go on yeah. that later on because I want to know how do you leverage that. But let's let's go to Cofax. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of companies change their tack regarding their partnership model and switch. Now, that may be because there's new senior executives coming in or they drive the partner model to a level where they're, they're, they're saturated and, it, and, it, and they're spending all of their time dealing with the partner's requests. Um, and, and you see that. And then I think that the other issue that they, they sometimes have is the conflict between that they probably need some direct business and they need the partners and you can get a conflict there. I mean, I think it's very important that all software vendors have direct contact with the, 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 where is their solution going to be implemented? And they need to have that direct contact regardless of what the partners say. And I think that they need the, as the vendor, they need to be able to very clearly articulate what that, where those where they're going to take that direct business um, and why and the reason is they need to understand the environment the problems the issues and they need to get direct feedback so that they can improve their software and and they need to do it in a very agile way it needs to be constant and ongoing they need to be the experts in that area not just experts in developing their software they need to be experts in that problem because things are changing all the time and I think if they lose that direct connection then I think that they can start to have problems they, they become a group of techies in a room dreaming up solutions to problems that sometimes people don't have or no longer have no exactly because they're like two steps behind yes the, 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 yeah I, I, I fully agree so I would always say even within an indirect or a partner channel have some direct customers to, yes. to be sharp but don't and be very it. clear about it. Yeah, and be yeah, very don't clear hide about it. I mean, God, yeah. you've seen that a lot, haven't you, where, yeah. they're, where they're sort of trying to hide the fact that they've got... Be really open with, with, yeah. with partners and explain to them. Get them in, get them in together and, and, and discuss it with them. Yeah, um, but you can have these nasty discussions where these partners could say, no, they're mine customers. And, then yes. I'm not. and, and I would really bluntly say, look... The customer is owned by the customer, right? Let's, so let's 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 get on. The one thing that I've seen is sometimes you can have a negative spin to that. I once was in a situation where I we didn't have enough data on the end user, so we made a mistake in the early days of just selling licenses in those days without asking all the details of the end user. So when renewal came, the partner got it was over a million. He got all the money, 
and then he came to us and he said, look, uh, it's end of your fiscal year. You know how that goes. And then, yes. and then he said, I'm not going to renew. I want 15% extra discount. And we're like, no, you can't do that. And he said, we're going to shut you down. I said, I'm going to shut down all the license. And he said, yeah, please go ahead. I'll tell everybody it's your fault. Man, that was like a hostage situation. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that that being a problem. Yeah. So yeah. That, so whoever is listening, try and avoid that one. It's a really painful <laughs> was situation. That, was that your problem at the time? Yeah, was that was really my problem. I mean, it was a tough one. It, at the end, we we so made what did it. You do? Yeah, we had to make it. We had to. I mean, we 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 did make a deal to speed it up because we were really running into troubles and we needed the money on those days. So we made them a deal. We gave a bit of discount, yeah. but then. After we reactivated, I told them, I said, look, this will never, ever happen again. And then I made sure that, that I completely rebalanced the channel and, and, and I went to visit all these end users. And they hated it. But I said, you guys, you forced me into an alternative strategy, guys. I mean, how, how stupid can it be? Yeah. So the end story wasn't a good one. but uh, So it was a mini victory for them. But the long term, it was a loss for all, for everybody. Yes. Well, I, I think I, I like to hear it when people say that they had problems because, you know, hopefully you you learn more. You'd have learned a lot through going through that and experiencing those problems and things just going smoothly. I mean, I, I experienced um, issues when I was working for Uniplex. Mm-hmm. Uniplex Software, which, they, you know, they were, they were a very successful company at one stage. Um, but they lost contact with the end user. They had they put together some deals, and I think a lot of this was stimulated by the um, I need to hit targets for my next quarter sort of mentality. Yeah, of course. Whereby they they had a distributor in the UK that was then passing on the software to the resellers. They had a really good network, but they became very dominant, and and Uniplex was selling a lot of software into this distributor. That was stocking up. Yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then when when I joined, they didn't know where their software was being sold. They didn't yeah. know who it was being sold to. They yeah. didn't have any stats. They didn't know how successful it was being. And and you could see there was such a big disconnect. And they now had a distributor with a, <laughs> a real hold over them. Yeah. And if they were if that distributor was incentivized to go out and focus in other areas, which I think that's pretty well what happened, their focus would be lost on Uniplex. Because they were they were losing the connection with the, with their end user, they were no longer innovating. No, it's like a feudal kingdom, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah, is. I, yeah, the, I, other pro- I, the other problem they had was in the naming of their software. They called their software Uniplex. It was just known as Uniplex. So when they when they finally realised that the world was moving away from them and they couldn't keep up in that area, they wanted to bring out a new product um, in the uh, document management workflow sector, and they did, they didn't know what to call it. You know, they were just known as Uniplex. <laughs> Uniplex what? two or yeah, a Uniplex, gold version. <laughs> Uniplex. Uniplex the sequel. <laughs> Yeah. That would have been funny, actually. Yeah, they actually so, called this product Ongo, which was a really bad name because it had so many development problems because they were developing something completely new. It was outside of their key area of expertise. You know, this idea of Ongo software 
document management workflow and the, the nickname became no go for on go it was really bad <laughs> <laughs> but by the way uh, just talking about the whole distribution reseller mechanism i also see a massive ch- shift because of the saas platforms where yes. legally you you can't resell that because you're actually selling it from the creator to the end user directly because you need all the login and so you really see a shift towards more of an agent type or referral model where they get commissions. But it's not like the old days where we would sell a software license to company X and they would then repackage, sell it to company Y. And SaaS is completely turning that upside down. So I, I do think they have less less issues. Yes. Well, I was just going to ask you, what, you know, what do you think about SaaS? Because again, I remember when it first came out, there was a lot of concern I yeah, think a, a lot of people that perhaps uh, they were trying to get their head around having something that's valuable to them sitting on a cloud out there somewhere in the ether. But I think now people are much so, more accepting of that. But for the for the vendor, what 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 are your thoughts? So so you mean the vendor? You mean like the reseller or uh, the, the vendor software vendor? Who, the, the developer? Yeah, of the for the software, software vendor, yeah. it's it's, it's oh, magic because you control completely whatever is happening, yeah. uh, and you'll 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 actually get the money first, and then so from a cash point of view, and then you'll give a commission or a fee to a partner. So I still think the indirect partner model works, especially when there is some need for consultancy or let's say more complex type of software. What you also see is the evolution of the connected app, uh, things like Zapier, and they connect you to whatever is in the backbone. And I see a lot of um, potential there to to actually increase and to build new type of ecosystems where everybody gets a bit of a margin share. Uh, On the other hand, it's less straightforward. So a real distribution type reseller agreements that you and I have signed <laughs> hundreds of them. Yes. You don't see that a lot. It's more of a time these agent type of things, which legally, yes, it's much more advantage because nobody takes real responsibility except the the creator of the software. But but uh, I mean, if I would be a partner reselling, I would always be very worried because I'm just a middle guy, and SaaS cuts out middle. People. I mean, all the well, new technology always gets out in middle guy uh, at the yes. end. Yes, Where, yeah. where's the value? I think, yeah. I think, yes, I think it's, I think it's a definitely a threat for the yeah. reseller. But I think that if they had the right mindset and innovated and thought, where can we add value? Because that's what it's about. And they will know deep down if they're not adding value, if they're just passing it, passing across business. That that's not going to last very long. They no, need to no. go deeper, don't they? They need to be able to provide some value. Quite often, I think a lot of the the resellers are looking to add their consultancy in and around that software. And I think yeah. I think now that that's the main reason that they will have any connection with those those software vendors yeah. is is to is the benefit and the value that they can add to that. Yeah. But I don't. I think if they can't do that then you're right. It's, it's a big threat. Eventually, they'll be squeezed out. I, I get a lot of questions around pricing models and mechanisms and discounts. Oh, yeah. and how do you do it? So we're not going to go into that, but yeah. there, is, there, is, there is for sure margin depreciation uh, because you need to prioritize acquisition versus upsell and SaaS. In, es- in essence, for me, is an upsell strategy. So, I mean, 
it's a different world, but I kind of like what I see because it's much more transparent, much more open, and less prone to these uh, kingdoms, actually. Hey, um, jumping to one thing before, uh, because I'm watching time, you said equity value in concept of partners. Now, I'm really curious. Yes. What are you talking about? Well, I, again, it's, it's another area that, that we look at very closely before engaging uh, with a company. And we'll, we'll, first of all, we're going to be looking for the percentage between the direct and the indirect model. And then we're looking at those partners because I think if they, if they do this in a very strategic way, partners can add immense value. But partners can also they can diminish the equity value of your business. And what, is it something, I mean, let, let me ask you some the questions if I would sell my business. I'm yeah. just thinking about sure. So classically what you see is one dominant partner and then a few small ones. So I can imagine that has impact on valuation because there's a lot of risk there. Potentially, yes. Or am I completely wrong? No, I think, I think you know, um, I would say, yes, I think that that would perhaps raise a, a certain concern it doesn't necessarily have to be an issue. What you'd ideally be looking for is that you've got probably a nice split of the, of the business between a number of partners. You don't want one partner to be too dominant. But I think that if there is um, a relationship between the vendor and that partner where they are both interdependent on each other, I was just trying to think there's a word for this, like it's not quite come to me yet, but it will probably come to me later on, where there's an interdependency, where they need each other equally, where the, the combination of the two is more than one on one equals two, and it's one on one equals three or four, then actually I think that can work very, very well. Yeah, I would agree for sure. I mean, look to one of the one of the companies actually really doing this well. It's like if you look to Salesforce and the whole ecosystem around it, not yeah. only are they one of the biggest SaaS and they're one of the first actually, but they also built a whole big, big, big model around it with a with whole, I mean, there are thousands, thousands of partners on that. So I do agree, actually. I did, never thought about it that way. Yeah, I think um, Salesforce have been very successful at that. I think um, Microsoft, obviously, they've yeah, been very I, successful. Exactly, I think, exactly. I, yeah, I think, I think on the other side, I've seen with Microsoft a lot, <laughs> it would be amazing how many companies have come to us and said, look, we, we are looking towards an exit. Um, we want you to work with us. We want you to help prepare us. We think the final partner is going to be Microsoft because we're doing really well with them. But they're looking at us closely. How many times have I seen that? Never <laughs> bought it. No. <laughs> and you think, you, you know, I, I think maybe maybe at some level you're, you're getting Microsoft. It, it may be something that they actually do deliberately because I've heard it so many times, you know. Um, not necessarily Microsoft, but some of the other bigger players. And um, they, they sort of get involved in this partnership because they believe it's going to really bring them riches. Yeah. I think I've seen companies being too focused on on winning a particular partnership and then believing that once they've got this partnership in place everything's going to be easy and they that they've almost defocused off other aspects of their business i think that's dangerous but i think yeah. from sort of answering the question that you, you you asked me about you know increasing equity um with the partners and making sure that it's you know it's strong ideally you are looking for a spread and also you're looking for a spread amongst 
the different um, different business sectors because in different economic economic climates, yeah. so you, you can reduce your risk. your risk. Yeah, and I think that's again buyers of a business are looking to reduce the risk in buying that company, and if you suddenly find that there's a particular business sector that's hit really hard, um, that business that then could become very risky. But if they've got a good split, but you've got also got to balance that against you know beings trying to be the too many things to too many people, you become a master of none. So, no. if the if the core software um, serves a particular purpose and can work across many sectors, and your partners apply the specialist skill in the business sectors, then that could work very well. Yeah. Be- because you're not having lots and lots of different versions, you're not being split in too many different directions, your partners are applying the specialist skills in those particular sectors, and you've got your spread against economic problems in any particular area. Yeah, fully agree. I get it. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's one aspect of, of looking at it. I think the other thing is that um, sometimes a partner can become a buyer for your business. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've got to be looking at if that is part of your exit strategy. You know, I'm always talking about you need an exit strategy. And if most people say they've got one, and then you ask to see it. Where is it? Show it to me. They haven't really got one. But if you're looking and you think that a potential one of your potential partners is going to buy you, you've got to be able to look at it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And and if there are lots of their competitors as part of your partners, which is is fairly common then again, that's likely not to work because they're not going to want to be trading and sending revenue to one of their direct competitors, which yeah. means that they're going to lose a big part of that revenue as soon as that acquisition has been announced. So there's a big risk. You've always got to be able to look at it from the other from the other perspective, and I think that's very important. But I yeah. think, I think um, having a split between direct and indirect, that will vary according to your delivery model, what type of software, but you do need that. You need that direct contact. Um, And I think that having a nice split where you've reduced risk, and maybe it's it's enabling you to reach into different regions. You know, that's another reason for having partners. Thinking about it, I uh, recently advised uh, like a SaaS company, and they said they were talking about uh, implementing consulting services, and I said, basically... If you guys would just focus on the recurrent software and sell as much as that, and you could find partners that just implement and do consulting and do all the services, actually thinking about valuation, yeah, it's much cleaner cut, of course. Huh? It's much more interesting if you're not carrying the, the, the amount of people to do all the consulting. Yes. Yep. I mean, you're the expert. Huh? I'm just asking. No, no, no. no <laughs> Seems no, no. logical, but... Uh, no, absolutely. I, th- yeah. I think that's right. You know, having... You do need... Um, experts that are close to hand. I, I, we, are, we do live in a virtual world now, but I don't think we'll ever get away from that feeling of if I've got a problem, there's somebody that's within driving distance that can come and help me. So let, let me ask you a very black and white polarized question because sometimes they do that with me. <laughs> so if I'm a SaaS company, I have a software and I'm, I'm scaling up, should I give my services for free? Should I keep it out of my balance as much as possible? Or should I focus on it? That's a tough one. Eh? If you wanted a, a, a 
black and white answer. <laughs> I would say, I would say try and keep away from it. And, yeah, and well, have I'm... other organisations provide that because I think focus is important. And what I've seen as a general trend, and again, you know, we, I've been looking at the fastest growing software companies out there for, for quite some time now, these unicorn companies, is a lot of them are SaaS models and they are very, very focused on what they do, why they do it and to who. And um, I think if you've got to build up the professional services and other skills, that just complicates things and it can slow you down. It's another point of failure. Whereas I, yeah. you, you could have people to help you to do that that would probably do that eagerly. Isn't it like two different types of organizations you try to combine? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're probably right. It's a bit, it's a bit yeah. like trying to be a professional footballer and a professional rugby player at the same time. It's tough, no, isn't it? I remember Michael Jordan, you know, the basketball player, yeah. and suddenly yeah. announced he stopped and then he would become a, like a baseball player. I'm like, that, that, that's just doesn't it's not going to work no I, and he didn't by the way <laughs> no no and I've, I've I've heard that many many times you know there have been different sports people very rarely do they manage to make it but you imagine trying to do it at the same time yeah it's not going to work very tough isn't it so we get back to we get back to focus Mark yeah well if we're going to focus we need to focus next time because we've now just done 32 minutes and 45 seconds perfect and uh, we need to be wrapping things up so uh, this has been the Boss It Podcast. It's an over-the-shoulder conversation that you're listening in, and it's been Michael Humbley and Mark Edwards, and we look forward to welcoming you next time. Thanks very much, Michael. Thank Speak you, to Mark. you again next week. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs>